here. I'm going to set up just a couple of props. So, um, Tim, are you happy to do that for me? That is, that would be lovely. That means that I can carry on talking. So, um, basically, Tim is just going to... Um, we've had a very um, interesting week, haven't we? Because um, what happened on Tuesday? What day was it on Tuesday? Anybody? Pancake day. Okay, hands up who had pancakes on the Tuesday. Uh, hands up who had pancakes sometime this week. Okay. Yeah, we're looking good. Okay, we're looking at roughly 50%. Thank you ever so much, Tim. You're a star. Um, Tim is kindly going to set up my props. If you could set up your little camping cooker. What happened was um, we had pancakes at Oak Tree Cafe on Wednesday. I'll tell you how it worked. I went along to Tesco's and I bought this pre-pancake mix, basically, powder in a, in a plastic jobby, basically. And then what I did was I bought about eight of them and I brought them along to... Oak Tree Cafe, and what you do, I've never had this before, you get this mix and then you mix it with water up to a certain mark and then you give the bottle a good shake and then, and then, and then you pour it in and you make the pancake. And I just need to say that it was a total disaster. <laughs> a total disaster. The pancake just didn't, just didn't come together. So then my friend of mine who's a bit of a chef, Tom, Shouted out, what are you doing? I'm going to come in and I'm going to save the day. So Tom strolled confidently into the kitchen. He did a few bits and pieces to the pancake mix and to the saucepan. And then he made a complete mess of it too. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Thank you, Tim. That's brilliant. He made a complete and utter mess. So do you mean Tom was left dare I say, eating humble pie. So then what we had to do was we had to call my 17-year-old daughter and say, can you bail us out? So she came down. She mixed it all up properly. The problem with us rather casual blokes is that we just were too lazy to do it properly, to be honest with you. And so what she did was she, she got the mixture she mixed it up properly. She added, I think, a bit of flour to it. Is that right? She just got it all right. And then she, of course, made the most superb pancakes you could ever have. Which meant that Tom and I were left looking like complete chumps, weren't we, Tom? <laughs> uh, two 50-year-old blokes who couldn't make pancakes. So I thought this morning we'd have another crack at it. What do you reckon? Yeah? So um, Tim's kindly lent me his camping gas um, cooker. Um, I've got that together. I've got all the ingredients. And I thought what I'd do is um, we'd, we'd have another go. Is that right? I'm surprised. I don't, I, hopefully I'm getting a few looks of concern from the trustees at this point. Health and safety. There are a few health and safety issues, you see. This table is a bit wobbly. <laughs> um, you know, I could be lighting this up and, and all the rest of it. So I think what I better do is just not do that. But I am gonna I'm gonna what I have got is some oh I've got these, which are sort of pancake substitutes. They're sort of ready-made pancakes. There we go. That sort of does the job. So um, can I have one of the young people? Someone was telling me the youth were in this morning, so I want a young person to come and demonstrate how to flip a cat pancake. Come on. There you go. You don't know how to flip a pancake. Come on, we'll, we'll, we'll try. Have a go. 
<laughs> right, but a bit more, bit more wrist action and a bit more flip. Okay, really go for it. Really up in the air. Come on. Oh. Okay, what we're going to do? Does anyone else want to come and help? Does anyone else want to come and help? Emily, come up, come up and help flip a pancake. So the two of you together now. Yes. Both hold on to the, pan the handle. Yeah. And, and hopefully we'll be able to do it. Okay. Really do it properly. Come on, go for it. It's a heavy pancake because it's not actually a pancake. Oh, <laughs> it's not working. Listen, can I just show you how it's done? Okay. <coughs> That's how you do it, girls. Okay. Thank you very much. You can sit down. <laughs> Wasn't that impressive? That was amazing, wasn't it? I was amazed at myself. <laughs> Utterly amazing. My goodness, I can't get over how good I am at flipping pancakes. Now, pancake day is, um, was it Shrove Tuesday, is that right? Where you get rid of all the stuff. Apparently the idea is you get rid of all the ingredients, all the, all the nice sort of luxury ingredients in order to prepare yourself for Lent and the run into Easter. Uh, is the point of Pancake Day. I don't know whether people realise that. Interestingly enough, um, the Catholics have um, Carnival. We realise that Carnival is actually a Catholic festival. We don't necessarily associate it. But Carnival means doing away with meat. Carne meat. Valet means doing away with it. So the idea of Carnival is you have this celebration where you get rid of your meat by eating it or roasting it, and then it's such a shame, isn't it, it's been hijacked by well, whatever, Rio de Janeiro or whatever, and turned into something completely different. So, I'm not actually going to do it. In the olden days when I was young, I would just try and do it. I remember once, people may remember the famous chicken and maggots experiment. Do we remember that? Did we, weren't you around for chicken and maggots? Basically, in order to demonstrate the state of the world, I got a fresh chicken, and I got this maggots from the local maggot place in Weybridge and, and I tipped them on the chicken but because the bright lights were so warm, the maggots heated up and just went wild. <laughs> Do we remember that? The maggots just suddenly became really feisty and they all piled out of the, um, out of the whatever it was, roasting tin and started running across the floor in order to assault the congregation. It was, it was like a scene from Doctor Who. Yes, and Di Diana had to come and rescue me, didn't you? Do you remember you had to come and save the day? I don't know what you did to the maggots, but you, you prevented them from eating the congregation or something. So, now I'm a bit older and wiser. We will have no such repetition. So, where are we going on this? Okay, we now begin to get a little bit serious. Imagine, if you will, that the pancake is the world. Yeah? Can you, can you imagine that for me? I know it's flat and the world is round. But just use your imagination. Flat Earth Society and all that. But, but just, just imagine that the pancake is the world. And what happens is that as the heat is applied, eventually the pancake gets to a point where it needs to be flipped. Does that make sense? Yeah? And in a similar way, the Earth is approaching that point as well. Now, 
different people have different theories about how the world is going to be flipped, if you like. So we've got theories in terms of global warming, and we've got theories about catastrophic events that will cause the North Atlantic drift to cease and suddenly will become as cold as Greenland, or war and the effects of war, or seismic shifts. All of these are, in a sense, important theories about how the planet is going to shift. So you go from the more credible to the slightly less credible, like alien invasion, or you know, a, 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 a sort of an asteroid strike or something. And so these are all theories about how the world is going to flip. But actually, the most important way in which this world will flip for certain is the return of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that is when everything will change physically, and not just spiritually, but physically. Everything will change in the blink of an eye. Everything will become completely different. And in Isaiah chapter 11 and verses 1 to 6, quite short, so if you've got Bible, can we dish out a few Bibles or if you've got any Bibles milling around or if you've got your apps or if you've got, you know, it's good to look it up. Isaiah 11, 1 to 6 describes the second coming, the return of Jesus Christ. Now, just, just, just bear in mind that Isaiah is preaching in a nation that is declining. Um, Israel is in desperate trouble and about to go into captivity. Um, Judah will go into captivity a few centuries later. The whole situation is utterly appalling. And the way that Isaiah works, it basically has sort of sections of desperation and judgment. Tim and I had the privilege of preaching on those a, a few weeks ago. And then, and then there are little spikes of unbelievable hope. Yeah, And so in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 6, we get one of those beautiful little spikes of unbelievable hope. Yeah, and we get reference to Jesus Christ. Now, Isaiah is littered with references to Jesus Christ, all, I mean, all the way through in terms of his first coming, um, in terms of his second coming. Um, suffering servant, do you remember Isaiah 53? We esteemed him not. He was but a, uh, do you mean a shoot? And, and do you mean, so there are beautiful scriptures that refer to Christ. But this, I, I would suggest, is one of the most important of them. And we're going to look at it together, um, split it into three sections, cause, character, and consequence. Cause, character, and consequence. So let's read the whole thing together, and then we'll start by looking at cause, and then we'll look at character, and then we'll look at consequence. Okay. Let's start. We're ready. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes 
or decide but by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearning together and a little child will lead them. Okay, so we go back to cause. We start with cause. First verse, uh, just look at that. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Jesse, as we know, is the father of David, King David. Um, It's interesting, why does he not say a root will spring up from David? I think because Jesse had sort of more humble origins. I think Jesse was a sort of um, sheep farmer and was just leading a normal life, as it were. And there's a sense of Christ coming out of humility, which is what was referenced a bit earlier, wasn't it? Yeah, so there's that sense of, of, of this shoot coming up. And in Isaiah's case, it's going to be 700 years later. Now, I think, actually, I was reading, Mike's a great fan of John Piper, and I am too. And Mike, not Mike, John Piper says that when you read the prophecies of Isaiah, it's quite helpful to think of it as a mountain range. And with a mountain range, what you see, you see the sort of little hills in the foreground, and then you see the nice sort of mid-peaks, and then you see the majestic peaks in the background. And what can happen is that they can all somehow in the picture blur together. Does that make sense? And so with Isaiah, it's the same, that that he's prophesying about something in the short-term future, the the, the foothills, the return of Judah to um, the temple, um, you know, after they've been captured by the Babylonians. So something in just the short term. In the mid-term, we have the first coming of Christ, yeah, and the incarnation uh, and the crucifixion. Again, Isaiah 53. And then in the, in the majestic peaks, which none of us have yet seen, is the return of Christ and the second coming of Christ, which will be the most extraordinary thing that we will ever, ever experience. Yeah? And so we have this sense of this shoot coming out of the stump. Matt referred to it a few weeks ago. Um, that whole sense of um, the stump being Israel and Judah, sent off into captivity, Israel never to return, Judah to return 70 years later, um, and out of that comes Jesus Christ, this shoot of Jesse. So there's a clear reference here to Christ. Do you, it's absolute, for me it's crystal clear, uh, and um, so we look at that, and then we think about character. What is the character of this shoot of Jesse? And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to through some, go through some characteristics, uh, and I'm, um, I'm going to encourage us to um, think about how we can apply them to ourselves. Yeah? So things to note about the character of Jesus Christ. Firstly, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Uh, it's a spirit of wisdom. It's a spirit of understanding. It's a spirit of counsel, a spirit of might. The Holy Spirit. Yeah? This shoot of Jesse will be full of the Holy Spirit. 
And so what I want us to encourage us to think this morning is, do we really want to be full of the Holy Spirit? Do we really want it? Do you mean, I'll, I'll confess that for me, there have been long periods of time where I've not really cared about being full of the Holy Spirit. I'll be really honest. Yeah, if things have been going badly, uh, you know, circumstances have not been working out, do you not blame God for stuff? I've not wanted to be full of the Holy Spirit. Yeah? But actually, being full of the Holy Spirit is the most important thing that we can be as Christians. And I would really challenge us. Do you really want to be full of the Holy Spirit? Or do you not really care? <laughs> you perhaps like to have a little bit of him in order to keep life ticking over in the Christian life. Yeah? Perhaps you'd like him to just help out with finding you a parking space. Or, um, you know, um, finding the right thing at the shop that you're going shopping for. Or, or being a nice person. Yeah? Or do you want to be full of the Holy Spirit, to represent Jesus Christ with power, to pray for the sick, to, to whatever? Yeah, do you know, it's a real challenge to me, I feel, about do we really want to be full of the Holy Spirit? Here was someone who was full of the Holy Spirit, who then had wisdom, who then had understanding, who then had counsel and might and fear of the Lord. Wisdom and understanding. Yeah, wisdom, understanding, to see the world, to know what's wrong with it, and to be able to do something about it. Yeah, to see the world, to know what's wrong, and to be able to do something about it. That was spoken of Christ, and it is also spoken of us. Yeah, clear reference to the second coming of Christ. First coming of Christ, he had the wisdom, he didn't have the might. Could be argued that he did have the might in terms of the might to save and the might to... But actually, when Jesus comes again, he will have total power. He will have total ability to sort everything out. Yeah, he will know how to do it, and then he will do it. Yeah, and he will do it completely and totally. We need to be confident in that. We need to know that that is what we're looking forward to. Yeah? I think too many Christians don't have that sort of confidence that this is what underlines history yeah they're nervous they don't fully appreciate that actually the end of history is the return of christ and the wisdom and might to sort all of this mess out yeah and we need to be confident about that as christians as we operate in this increasingly difficult world we do need to know that christ will will resolve it we do need to have that sense of hope too much I can drift into a sense of despair. Too much I can drift into a sense of, of it's all going to end badly. It's all going to end in tears. Yeah, but actually, we need to constantly reinforce ourselves with the return of Jesus Christ. Yeah, strengthen our faith. Know that he's coming back. Does that make sense? Yeah, really important that we do that. And finally, the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Shorthand for under the direct authority of the Father. Jesus didn't know the day of his return, but he was under orders. So he said to the Father, I'll come back when you want me to. And there'll come a day, I presume, I don't know whether he still knows or whether he doesn't know. I don't know what's going on there in, in heaven. But there'll come a day when God will say to Jesus, it's time to go. And Jesus will say, yes, sir, and he will return and he will sort it all out. Why? Because he's under the authority of the Father. Yeah, 
And my challenge to us today is, are we under the authority of the Father? Yeah, are we responding to his commands? Are we responding to his orders? Or are we just drifting around doing our own thing? Yeah, there are too many Christians come around. I've been yeah, I met someone the other day. I need to be really careful what I say. But I met someone the other day who was a Christian. He was happy in his faith. And he was just drifting around, enjoying life, doing his own thing. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, I'm safe. It's good me sorted. Uh, but, you know, whatever. Is that us? Or are we under the orders of the Father in terms of bringing the kingdom? Which may be, you know, um, inviting people to church, or it may be, I don't know, whatever. Or bringing the kingdom in the wider sense, which I'm going to talk about in a little while. So, that is character. We've had cause, we've had character, and finally we've got consequence. And consequence appears in the final section, and I think this is amazing. Uh, I'm going to talk about that briefly. Let's quickly look at that together. Um, beginning halfway through verse 3. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, or decide by what he hears with his ears. Wonderful passage, isn't there, in 1 Samuel. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Yeah, Man judges by appearance. We see someone and we think, they've got a flash car. They've got a good job. They've got a position in society. They've got everything going for them. And then, and then we esteem them more highly than someone who doesn't have that. Does that make sense? We do that all the time. All the time I'm doing that. I'm seeing people through the lens of how rich are they, how powerful are they, how important are they, even within the church, how important are they within the church, how special are they, and then we give them undue attention, and then we sort of ignore people who we esteem to be beneath us. Does that make sense? For, for, for the Christian... Can I just say that that is unacceptable behavior? <laughs> Utterly unacceptable. Yeah? We need to esteem the people, in a sense, beneath us in terms of wealth, in terms of looks, in terms, as highly as we esteem those above us and indeed on the same level of us. Yeah? Every, I have to check myself all the time in terms of doing that. All the time. Even me trained as a social worker. Yeah? We need to think really carefully about that because... We look to this scripture, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Oh, one was a really short breath, actually. It must be the COVID. Okay. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor. Do you realize that? With justice, Jesus, when he returns, will decide for the poor and needy. And it's not just spiritually poor and needy. I believe actually poor and needy. Yeah? He will decide in their favor. Yeah? He won't be deciding for the rich and famous. He won't be deciding for the celebrities. He won't be deciding for those with loads of money. He won't be deciding for any of those people. He will be deciding for the poor and the needy. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Christ, and then you can reference through to Revelation in which we get another picture of Jesus in a similar position of power. 
Yeah, when Jesus returns, he will not be meek and mild. He will return in all his glory and all his power and all his majesty. And not only will he have the knowledge to sort everything out, he will have the power and the means to sort everything out. It will be a terrible day for some, Jesus' return. Yeah, for those who are abusing power, for those who are, you know, um, dominating others, for those who are um, just, yeah, it won't be a good day when Jesus returns. And the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. There's a wonderful looking forward to the description of Christ. And I think Revelation chapter one, isn't it? I remember we get a similar um, John the Divine inspired um, picture of the resurrection Christ. Yeah. We need to constantly hold that picture in our minds. Yeah, the resurrection Christ is awesome, and he is powerful, and he is able to sort all of this out. Yeah? The pancake will flip. Don't just say that. The pancake will flip. Boy, will it flip. Yeah? And everything, everything on this planet be turned upside down yeah does that shock you i hope it does i hope it shocks you everything the world holds dear will be despised and held in low esteem everything that the world despises and holds in low esteem will be lifted high the mountains will be laid low and the valleys will be raised up it says in Isaiah, yeah? And so we need to just think, you know, how does that affect my life? How do I uh, rearrange my life so that I am no longer valuing the mountains and I am more respecting the valleys? Yeah? Give you time to have a little think about that. I need to have a little think about that. He will turn it all upside down. Down. There's a great film that I saw the other day called, um, I watch it every now and again, it's called The Mission. Uh, and it's um, set in South America. And it's this wonderful group of Jesuit monks. And they go in order to preach the gospel to the tribes above the falls. Uh, and uh, they go there. And with great hardship, they see them come to Christ. And they set up this little, sort of these little villages, these little communes led by these Jesuit priests. It's a wonderful film, and and then, and then I mean it's all set up, and a little slice of heaven basically, they introduce to, to that area. But then what happens is, and this is all historical. What happens is the Catholic Church, um, and the governments of Portugal and Spain, come together and say we can't allow that to happen. We can't allow that to happen, and so they they issue these 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 these, um, Jesuit monks an ultimatum, you know. Return to, return to Rome um, or um, so that we can then re-enslave these populations above the, the falls or face the consequences. And so they face the consequences. And the Jesuits, alongside with the villagers, were wiped out to a man, woman, 
and child. If you watch the mission, it's just a deeply moving story. And one of the, the quotes, which is so moving, Jeremy Irons says this in the film, he says this quote, if might is right, then there is no room for love in the world. If might is right, there is no room for love in the world. Uh, and then it, 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 every time I watch it, I sort of cry. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Here are these Christians who are holding out against the church, who are holding against a combination of church and state. We're going to see this more and more, who are just holding out, and they are literally saying, we, we want to introduce a slice of heaven, and we are going to defy everyone, <laughs> and then we're going to sacrifice our lives <laughs> in order to do it. And um, it's a deeply moving film. I recommend it. It's um, available on DVD. I don't think it's available on um, streaming services for some reason. But um, I think it's becoming an increasingly prophetic film. Okay. So, we then have the reference to the wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat. What a great passage of scripture that is, isn't it? Um, and we all look at it and think, what on earth does that mean? Yeah? Does that mean that zoos will have sort of all the animals piled in together? <laughs> I do I believe it just refers to a, a, a something that will happen at a molecular level upwards, which is basically no longer will the strong eat the weak. No longer will the strong dominate the weak. Yeah? No longer will lions eat antelopes. We all watch these fascinating David Attenborough films, don't we, where we have a long sort of chase in which either lions or wolves or assorted carnivores hunt down the wildebeest or the deer or whatever and finally um, you know kill them in, and then we all feel really sorry for the little one that's been sort of picked off and separated from the herd yeah do we we all watch this stuff with a combination of sort of horror and fascination yeah in the new heaven and the new earth that will no longer be the case yeah there'll be no longer domi there'll no longer be a food chain There'll be no longer be a sort of domination of the strong over the weak. There'll be no longer be any of that from a molecular level upwards. It'll all change. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, yeah? So when Jesus comes back, he won't just change things at a societal level or at a human level. He will be changing things at a biological level, yeah? He will be changing everything from, from the atom upwards. Does that make sense? We go back to Eden, yeah, we go back to the Garden of Eden where, you know, animals weren't being eaten before the fall. Yeah, and I'm, this isn't about to end up in a discussion about vegetarianism, just to be... Yeah? <laughs> you know, I'm, just, I'm parking that one. Yeah, but what I am saying is that there is just this new situation in which no longer will the strong dominate the weak. A truly glorious day. And Isaiah, who was there was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he had a chance to see it. Transformation. Now, finally, I want to introduce this idea, which I think is really important, um, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a quote from Tom Wright. I'm just going to take my jumper off, so just talk amongst yourselves briefly as we get into the finale. I think I'm quite hot. Great, ready to go. So... Christians usually are into replacement theory when Christ returns. Often we don't talk about Christ an awful lot because there's all sorts of complicated theories about how he's going to come back. There's sort of premillennialism and postmillennialism, amillennialism. And so what preachers often do is, because they don't want to get in 
embroiled in the mess of Christ's return in terms of all these different theories. They just avoid it, yeah, which is a shame because actually talking about the return of Christ is the most glorious thing we can talk about, yeah. And so the danger with Christians is what I, we can buy into, which I can easily buy into, is what I would call replacement theory. Replacement theory is that the whole world will go up in a nuclear ball of smoke or global warming will, and Christ will step in and save the day and replace everything. Yeah? That is replacement theory. But there is also, and this is what I think is referred to in this scripture, transformation theory. Yeah? Which is not that everything will be replaced, but that everything will be changed. Everything will be changed. Look at it. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the only together. The little child will lead them. That sense of the flip, yeah. But that is a transforming, not a replacing. Does that make sense? Just have a think about it. You may or may not buy into it. But it actually really affects how we think and how we live in this world. So Tom Wright, I read this. I read this a couple of times, and as I reached a certain section, I... I can't help myself but cry, actually, which is probably the older you get, the more you start crying about stuff. Perhaps, but I'm going to I'm going to read it to you, and it's just a beautiful. Really recommend the book, Surprised by Hope. I've got a copy of it. I'll just wave it around. Where's it gone? Is it somewhere? Yeah, there you go. Tom Wright, Surprised by Hope really recommend it. It can be your Easter reading book recommendation of the week. Yeah? I'm going to read this. Because with this quote, he absolutely sums up what I think is right about how things are going to change when Christ returns. What you do in the Lord is not in vain. You are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to come off a cliff. You are not restoring a great painting that's about to be thrown on the fire. You are not planting a rose garden that's going to be dug up for a building site. Yeah? You are, strange as though it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something, this is in your work life, in your Christian life, in your daily life, accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. Everything that you're involved in in life, yeah, danger with evangelicals, they think we're all in terms of saving souls. Yeah, but actually we need to have a far wider kingdom perspective, which is that everything we do in life has a translation into the kingdom. Yeah, working in the NHS, small businesses, teaching, all these things have a transition into eternity. Carry on. Every act of love, every act of gratitude, every act of kindness, every work of art. I've been painting recently, doing little watercolours, actually. I'm a bit of an artist. Yeah, a few of us are artists. Every work of art... Where were we? Or music. Remember Handel's Messiah? Four unto four unto us a child is born. 
music sung in the honor of Jesus Christ. Yeah. I'll try start again. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of creation. Every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or walk. Every act of care, every act of nurture, every act of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings and for that matter, one's fellow non-human beings, and of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, everything that builds up the church, everything that embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, everything that makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ into the new creation that God one day will make. Can I hear a hallelujah? Yeah? Do we get the big picture? Do we get that everything we're doing in the workplace, in life, with our neighbors, in church, it all translates into glory? Do you realize that? Are you aware of that fact? Are you fully aware of that fact? It all translates into glory. Yeah, which is why it's just so important that whatever you're involved in, be it nursing, be it care, be it looking after relatives, be it teaching, be it whatever you are doing is important in the kingdom of God and for Christ's glory. Yeah. And I just want you to just, let's just sort of sit back and pray about that and think about it briefly. Lord... Help us not to have a narrow view of what we're about. Help us to have that broad view that what we are doing makes a difference and will translate into eternity. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm just going to invite the band up. And they're going to pray softly. And then what we're going to do is we're going to be a bit interesting. We're going to come up and we're just going to pray for one another. What I want us to do is come up the front, all of us or whoever wants to come up front. We're just going to pay, pray for one another in groups of twos and threes. Or you can stay where you are. Just share a little bit about your life. Yeah, just share. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a full-time carer uh, or um, I'm retired and I'm spending time with my neighbours or I work in the health service or I'm in education or I'm doing this or I'm doing that. And then we're just going to pray for one another. Yeah, that that translates into glory is that okay can we have a go at that yeah so can you everyone stand up if you are able yeah if you can't please please uh, yeah now i want you to walk and find someone moderately new that you don't know very well yeah come on uh, i'm not seeing a lot of movement here i want you to move everyone to move find someone different yeah find someone relatively new um we won't be doing anything until I'm absolutely satisfied that there's been suitable mixing. Yeah, go and, go and, yep, find someone new. Lucy, could, could you go over there and just join those guys? That'd be brilliant. Lovely. Okay. Are we all in place? So now the plan is you briefly introduce yourself. You briefly say what you do. And then we pray for one another and the band gently, it's a bit messy, isn't it? But we'll, we'll cope. Yeah.
Let's do it. Can I just, can I just add, can I just add actually, um, sometimes we can think that our little small corner of the world, what we do isn't worth it. It isn't important. You know, I'm, I can look at my, I'm just a painter and decorator. How can painting a wall make any difference to God's kingdom? And, and it's all about our hearts. It's all about what we're giving and our attitudes to our, our work. And we say, Lord, I'm going to paint this wall for your glory. I'm going to do this simple act to honour you. And I would do it with every fibre of my being and do it well. And that's the root of where we're at, you see. Because then when we do that, then there's a, there's a joy within us that God he can then say, look, you're doing this well. And, I'm, and he loves it when we do that. He loves it when we do things well that are simple. So whatever you're doing, don't feel that it's not, it's not on fire for God. Because you do it with a right heart and God will bless it. Amen.